0: This is Jeffrey Thomas, author of Punk Town, and you are listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey
1: everybody, Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. It is 9-24-2016, September in non-number-speaking countries. Um, Yeah, Steve had a special announcement he wanted to make, so before we get going, I'm going to pass it over to him real quick.
0: Uh, Right on. It's not really an announcement, but I just wanted to have a moment of
1: silence. Um,
0: Adam uh, Scott Glancy's father passed um, about an hour or so ago, so we'll just have a moment of silence for uh, Mr. Glancy.
1: All right, Um, we're back. Yay! All right, so tonight we are discussing, excuse me, clear your throat before you turn on the camera, don't ask, we are discussing Return of the Old Ones. Uh, This is an anthology of apocalyptic Lovecraftian tales.
0: Oh, really? Uh, I thought it was about my back. (laughs)
1: Uh, 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 we are the Return of the Old. Ones. <laughs> Get off my lawn. So, yeah, Return of the Just Old. these weeks. days. Uh, it's edited by Brian M. Sammons and published by Dark Regions Press. Uh, there is an Indiegogo campaign going on. Um, the last, in the last day yeah. or so?
0: Of yeah, I think this weekend is it.
1: So, yeah, so if, if you, yeah, if, the, the links is in the description, so check it out. It's also on the Microphones of Madness Facebook page. Uh, you can go over there, check it out, click the link, give some money if you, if you got some. Yeah, get a book. Um, yeah, so as always with the anthologies, we've read the first half, uh, do the first half in the first episode, second half in the second episode. We might do that backwards one day just to fool you guys. Be mad, woo-hoo. yeah. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Do it in reverse order. Um, so nothing
2: Barbie. makes sense anymore. Nothing.
1: This is my um, trailer
0: park boy's face.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I think your glasses need to be a little bit thicker for that, Steve.
0: Yeah, that's true. I've got technology holding me back.
1: Technology. So, um, yeah, as usual, we're just going to go through general impressions and then break it down story by story. Um, We are going to try to avoid spoilers because this is not a book that's out yet either. Um, So we're going to kick it off to Kim because I think Steve went first last time. I always go first. Not always. That's my catchphrase. Ah. All right, so, Kim, initial impressions of the first mm-hmm. Anyway. Hey, it's the return of the old ones.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, now see. Now, okay.
0: now let tech Yells at clouds.
2: <laughs> All right. So, my heart's not as in this one as it was in Caligari. I think Caligari spoiled me. Because reading some of these, I mean, it's, it's not that they're bad. They're just not gripping me like those ones did. Not really. I mean, there there is some really good stuff in here. Uh, there's some really creepy stuff too, and one of them actually gave me a, a a fear factor kind of kind of shrug, which which doesn't happen very often. Um, overall not bad, and and I, I will stick with it to read the rest out. But yeah, I think uh, Caligari just spoiled me. Damn it, Joe Pulver! Damn you <laughs> with your wonderful anthology.
1: All right, and Steve, initial impressions.
0: Um, first half of Return of the Old Ones. Um, I've read a lot of Lovecraftian anthologies. Um, and I think I'm starting to get the pattern too much Mm -hmm. Um, for it to really be effective on me. Uh, I'm starting to see trends in the actual writing that um, I don't necessarily think I was noticing before, Um, but just reading so much of it, I'm, I'm starting to see how not what the tropes are but how they're used and um, how weird fiction is is transforming from something that wants to shock to something that's kind of like a club that you either belong to or you don't Mm -hmm.
1: all right and well you know my got through the first half. I mean, most of the stories in here have been pretty damn solid and, and really my biggest takeaway, um, from it. Well, one of the biggest takeaways from the first half of the book is damn you, Peter (laughs) Roelick.
0: How many plans are there, Pete?
1: How many (laughs) plans are there? I thought I saw a flying saucer. Um, yeah, I mean, the stories are good, but you know, I think I think I'm, I'm with everybody else that we've read uh, far too much Lovecraftian fiction in quick succession to get the most appreciation out of the book. Um, also, uh, it's it's worth noting that the book is divided into three sections: uh, in the before times, uh, where were you when the world ended, and what's the third? Because I don't have that in my notes.
0: The third is Bootsy Collins. Uh, life in the shadow of living gods. Life in the shadow
1: of living gods. Um, and so, it's like so visiting far, my house over Thanksgiving. Right. So far, we're t- we're ten stories in, um, and a lot of them deal with the the end of the world itself. Of course, it is a book with the theme apocalyptic Lovecraftian fiction. So there's going to be apocalypses galore, um, and really, if if so far, if you're looking for variations on a theme, you'll love this. Um, if you're looking for like some other weird fiction anthologies where it's a variety of stories on on different things and slightly different takes on the subject matter, not so much. This this anthology is has been so far very tightly theme oriented. Yes. Um, but you know this this for me this would probably be um, a slower read, uh, not something I try to power through half of it in a course of a week or two. Right. Um, and that's one of the, once again one of the drawbacks to to doing these shows is we we are not reading. Necessarily at the rate we would normally read such things.
0: Right. We're, we're, we're trying to get impressions and disseminate information. Right. Not that we're not, it's we're not, not really enjoyable. Reading for enjoyment. Right. Well, not that it's not enjoyable because right. it is.
1: Um, but, you know, but we're enjoyment not...
2: enjoyment isn't the point why we're doing it.
1: Well, it, it, in a way, it's the point, but also... You know, we we want to give the review, so we have to be completionists. Yeah, and it has to be somewhat timely. I mean, yes, we we've had this this book sitting in our queue for a while, but uh, yeah, we're getting we're getting toward the deadline of the Indiegogo campaign, and right. you know this this is something that's on a deadline.
0: And like you said, there's solid stories in here, mm-hmm. and it's very tight themed, and which. I, I, it surprised me. Um, I've read some other anthologies by the by the same editor, which were a little bit more fast and loose with the theme, right? Um, but this
1: is very, very like dead on. Yeah, yeah. So far, so far. No. So far. That's true. We've, read half. We've got what another nine or ten stories left. Nine. Another nine stories.
2: Yeah. Nineteen stories overall.
1: Okay. Um, so, I mean, you know, if that's, that's anything else you guys want to add to the initial impressions, uh, we can just go on into story by story. Yeah, let's hit it. All right. So story number one, we are going with around the corner by Jeffrey Thomas. Everybody knows what big fans of Jeffrey Thomas we are. JT. Big old JT. Um, yeah. So we started with Kim for initial impressions. We'll go with Steve for impressions of this story.
0: Um, this story was a strong opener. It it actually really set the tone for the the series very well. Um, There's a lot of... See, I'm trying to do this without spoilers. Um, Jeffrey Thomas uses a lot of imagery Mm -hmm. um, and and uses his imagery to foreshadow how the story ends up. Mm -hmm. And when I first read the story, I actually was talking when I was text chatting with Rodney about how um, I had thought that Jeffrey had made a tentacle joke, because up until that point, there had been no references to tentacles, and then uh, he saw one on TV. The Mm. character was watching TV and saw it was a Nautilus or a squid, and I, I just made an offhand remark about that, and then um we got more tentacles, but it wasn't as tentacle heavy. Um, it was a very good use of the imagery of that Lovecraftian tentacle to foreshadow what was going to happen later on in the story without it turning into big tentacles from the sky. Right. That makes any sense. It does. If you've read the story. Yeah.
1: Right, like Kim? I said,
0: it, oh. uh, it, it uses really good imagery, and uh, it might have been the only story so far that uses the theme of uh, ancestral taint,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is a a huge Lovecraftian theme that we don't really get to see a lot of in these modern trilogy or anthologies. And I, right. Thanks, Jeff.
1: All right, Kim.
2: Yeah, uh, I really like this one. Um, Trying to look at my notes here. I I like how he uses, like like Steve was saying, he uses a lot of neat imagery. He really screws with the way you perceive things. I mean, the the story is called Around the Corner, and that's really where you're looking is like around the corner into another dimension almost. Mm -hmm. That's, That's how it feels when you were reading this. Like yeah. you're getting a peek into something that you're not supposed to see.
1: Right. Okay. It's
0: where the fudge um, is
1: made Yeah. I I thought this this I mean, this story is, you know, Jeffrey Thomas is, is a fantastic writer. Um, I, I love his writing. No matter what he does, he could write the phone book and I would probably get the fuck out of it. <laughs> um, this is this story is not Jeffrey Thomas unleashed like, say, Ghosts in Amber or uh, mayor of Ephemera but it's still solid storytelling. Um, you know and and I like the way he kept things kind mostly generic, not no name dropping. Um, I think he made one reference to the Nikal language um, and that was pretty much it. Most of it was just this guy this shit is happening and he's slowly piecing together what's going on. And I think that's, in a lot of ways, the mystery is what makes it effective. And, and yeah, the, the way he ends around the corner is, is like the perfect opening to the book. Right. Um, it, it takes us in. And it's pretty, pretty much his balls to the wall from there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I love this story. It was a great, great, once again, great opening story. Jeffrey Thomas is always quality.
0: The the weird thing
1: in reading this was
0: I had just finished reading uh, Victor LaValle's uh, Big Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Big Machine, the main character had at one point belonged to a, an apocalyptic cult right. that had a, a sticky ending. Mm-hmm. And in this story, we have the main character at one point had belonged to an apocalyptic cult that had mm-hmm. a sticky ending. And it was like back-to-back sticky endings with that, with that theme in there. And now now the two, two stories diverged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was interesting. I, and I don't know if, if uh, Jeffrey Thomas has read Big Machine or not, and if that was an influence. It was just an odd coincidence for me.
1: Right. All right, so uh, the second story is Don Webb, TikTok. Um, let's see, we'll go with Kim first.
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. I love this one too. Uh, and again, Don does the same thing that Jeffrey did. He screws with, I uh, know, not quite the same thing, he screws with what is normal. And what you think is supposed to be normal, except it's slightly off. And then it just keeps getting more off and more off and, and more and more and more until you're, you're screwed in the head. And it, it was a really fun story to read, I have to say. I liked it. I liked it a lot.
1: All right. Excellent. What about you, Steve? Um, I,
0: I, uh, I really like this story. Um, the first thing that's going to hit you about this story is you don't have any cults.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's no wizards trying to bring Yog Sothoth down on your unsuspecting daughters. Um, it's just, really, it's a story about how our distractions um, bring forth the
1: end of the world. <laughs> It's 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 pretty cut and dry, um, yeah. I like this story too. I'm uh, you know, I'm kind of a fan of conspiracies and 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 getting to see this character who is kind of um, an internet version of Art Bell or George Norrie or or one of these guys. Rodney Turner. Uh, no, <laughs> car, yeah. You know, it's, Harp is fucking with your mind. <laughs> open your eyes people <laughs> west of the rockies you're on.
0: Wow. You calling him a sheeple at this point
1: no that's 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 the guy i don't like <laughs> um, yeah i mean the you know, the the way the way this guy is just kind of going his his life is already full of the weird um as it is, whether he believes it or not. And it it's a web, well, right? Weird he, website uh, of conspiracy and the weird. Yeah, a, a, a web based magazine of conspiracy and weird. He runs their Facebook page and their Twitter, and he's just, he does this, and he's a reporter. So he actually goes out and does research and writes up a lot of articles on this topic. Um, you know, he also has a really Don puts a really interesting line in there that I really enjoyed that I had to quote. and is Or was he the underpaid projectionist of a one-star B-movie hmm. in Plato's Cave? Which I just thought that was a really interesting uh, kind of visual reference and, and something to think about. You know, is this guy who writes conspiracies and things like that, is he just, you know, is he just a... Playing a bad movie.
0: <laughs> this I, there were a lot of quotables in this story. Yeah, um, my apocalypse has no bells and whistles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and my favorite um, reference to non-Euclidean geometry. Mm-hmm. Did you know pi is changing? Right.
2: Oh yeah, that
1: one. <laughs> that one threw me. And and yeah, and actually, that is referenced a couple of times.
0: Well, that that just says so much because you're you're not falling into that
1: non-Euclidean
0: trap where people will, you know, it sounds great, but if you think about it,
1: you're kind of like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. Which is it? Non-Euclidean geometry is a very complicated subject.
0: Right. But just to say, pi is changing because pi is a constant; mm-hmm. it's it's ratio the circumference to the diameter of a circle nice. and ch- if that is changing
1: everything
0: is changing reality itself is changing
1: and, and that was very sly how you looked at that. your notes oh yeah
0: well i have <laughs> the
1: notes there yeah
0: you know so i can remember things that's what notes are for
1: mm-hmm. um yeah, and, and and I agree that that was that was a very subtle reference without going with the whole uh, strange angles or uh, non-Euclidean route, but to say that the constants of the universe are changing. Um, I also got kind of a kick, and this is a, this is a small spoiler at the event itself, um, and and the ink running off the pages of certain books. Yeah, oh,
2: yeah, that was cool.
1: Um, Steve mentioned to me, and yeah, I, I agree that that uh, Don's use of uh, Philip Dick in that list of books was was very well done and, and a nice change of pace. As Dick, well.
0: Dick gets the short end of the weird
1: stick, and
0: if you read a lot of his work, you realize that he incorporates weird, the weird, the Lovecraftian very seamlessly into his own milieu. Mm-hmm. And uh, people should should give Dick a chance.
1: Mm-hmm. But also, you know, the interesting thing that's going on in that story is it's kind of like... Dick. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, we're not quite 30 minutes in. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's for you, Cindy. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, but it's there was kind of the implication that the the weird books, whether it's Lovecraft or Philip Dick or even that advanced mathematics textbook, um, were kind of holding it back in part. Right. You know, and and that kind of gave me like a quick reminder of the uh, plot device in West Craven's New Nightmare, where the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are actually holding Freddy Krueger at bay. Right. And, you know, I just kind of like that idea that that these various um, really weird and strange tales also do that, and also advanced mathematics does that as well.
0: And, and it was very fresh because you haven't really seen something like that, or I haven't. Right. Not that I've read everything there is to read, but I haven't seen anything like that before. In weird fiction, mm-hmm. where weird fiction itself is being used to as almost like an Eric Zahn kind of situation, right?
2: Yeah, except this writer's doing it, which is awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so yeah, that was TikTok by Don Webb, yeah, and yeah, that's another great story. It was a great follow up to Around the Corner, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, and here's what I thought was the third you know uh, great leadoff hitter of the book. and that is and if you for, have to forgive me for mispronouncing any names here, uh, Glenn Owen Barras's Causality Revelation. And I'm going I wouldn't start with this because it's my turn, but Steve mentioned something rather interesting when he read it originally. He did. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That, uh oh. Uh oh. That that Glenn plays something that's familiar to us. Um I'm so drawing a blank right now. It's time for the chance, grab my butt, kick a rama. Wait, what? Oh
0: <laughs> I now I don't know if he does. Sorry. <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> I was trying to find out if uh, Glenn played Eclipse Phase because oh. there's, there's a convention in Eclipse Phase, and, and we went through it when we played um, our Florida episode where you have uh, AIs that have caused diseases that are able to physically change. Uh, they're, they're like computer viruses that you catch in your brain, yeah. and they're able to affect um, your your physical makeup of your body as well. Right. Yeah. So um, we we have that in here. I'm sorry, I was like thinking of
1: the story, not the not the grand the grander yeah. scheme. Yeah, I, I uh, was trying
0: to find this out, but my sources
1: were dry. Um, yeah, the one thing that I really liked about this story is, is the use of a, – a, well, it was an internet mystery at one point. It's pretty much been you know, debunked as anything odd. But using WebDriver Torso as the catalyst for the whole thing. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, WebDriver Torso is a YouTube channel. Um, and it's, I believe it is one of Google's test channels where they just play a few seconds of a tone and some geometric shapes and that's it. And they will up the channel uploads, uh, in when it's, in it is height of activity, like hundreds of videos a minute. And they're only a few seconds long. And it's just, it's supposedly it's just a test. But in this story, uh, just to give a little bit of a spoiler, it's MK ultra man. It, yeah. Um, a, a virus to bring about the return of the old ones right. is started by using WebDriver Ultra.
0: Now, have you ever read... Uh,
1: WebDriver Torso, sorry.
0: Have you ever read Snow Crash?
2: No. I have not.
0: Snow Crash has a very similar um, situation where you would have a, a, a virus uploaded into a person's brain, and it, it would basically just null you out
1: mm-hmm. now one thing one thing I want to point out about these first three stories and, and in it's, it's a it's a thing that makes them work well is all three are very personal stories um, we're dealing with one character very small cast of characters uh, going through these events right. um, and yeah, we're focused mainly on the mental and emotional states of this one character, and that's that's one of the things that makes this type of fiction work well. Is small cast focusing on a particular character rather than the event itself? It's 100%. like the event Agreed. becomes a backdrop, right? Um, it's setting, right. Now, now we get to the fourth story, "The Hidden" by Scott T. God, God'sword, God'sword, God God'sword. Not yeah. as good as a one to a mine,
0: man. God'sword. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sorry, Scott. I yeah. fucked up your name. Um. Yeah. Basically, you have. A group of very average folks.
0: You might even say below average folks.
1: Yep. And they are part of a secret cobble to bring about the end of the world. Which is interesting in itself that, you know, it's usually wizards or, you know, the really wealthy. Right. Or something like that. These are the, or the yeah, secret really problem, super
2: right? evil people.
1: Except, right, so in, except in. Except in.
0: Wait. Wait for it. The Danoichi Horror. No, I was going to say Masks of Nyarlathotep, where you ah. have that theme of the downtrodden who turn to right worship of Nyarlathotep because they are oppressed, mm-hmm. which is how I choose to interpret it because.
1: I don't know. We haven't how seen how the I downtrodden yet. I mean. <laughs> I mean the entire London episode was was a mega rich dude. Mm. Um New York was was yeah. Uh, yeah. Um Yeah, and it's it's not the strangest story of the bunch. It's it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um and and in I would say its drawback is that It's not as focused on the characters. The characters are very generic. It's a very narrative-driven story, plot-driven story. It's focused on the reveal. Right. And we get to the reveal. And and, I had something very clever to say about the reveal, but it's basically
0: a spoiler, so I won't.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) I liked how each of them brought something to the table without which the thing could not have happened. I mean, these are ordinary people, but they're in position to do one little thing that is going to make this happen.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean the, the center part of the story is, is almost kind of like a ocean's 11 montage or, right. or leverage or something like that where each each player a caper. Uh, each player is bringing their special talent or gift to the ritual. And, you know, they were chosen So you know, in a lot of ways you have a lot of archetypal characters. You have
0: the librarian, the fry cook, the welder, and the mechanic. And the outsider. The lifetime student and the local journalist. That's actually a quote.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, this one is actually rather short. So it's really hard to, to to get into any specific topical detail without giving spoilers. Um, so yeah, it's it's short. It's it's not really the strongest story so far. Um. Yeah, but you know, I I would be interested in reading reading more by by Scott.
0: One of the themes that. Um did stand out with this story is these people. All of them have seen better times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the the uh, fry cook who owns a chain of restaurants. Right. It's the guy who goes from job to job as a fry cook. Right. It's it's people. Who, the the welder. Um, is on a farm that has seen better times. So. You almost get the sense where in, in a world where you have opulence all around you and you're mm-hmm. being fed these images of success, right like we do, mm-hmm. um, but the, the, the normal uh, culture is failing people, right. Where do you turn? Mm-hmm. It's, it's what, very what
1: it, it's join very an, much
2: an cool.
1: apocalyptic. Right. Uh, excuse me, guys. I got things to do. See. I got apocalyptic cults to join.
0: <laughs> and they ran like an AA meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, I mean the the world itself that the story takes place in is very much a, a world that's very similar to our own, um, where yeah there's there's this perception of oh yeah everything's fine everything's hunky dory yet there's there's a significant portion of the population that you know, no not everything's hunky- dory um you know no matter what we do we can't get anywhere so let's just have I, a, I don't know what that feels like yeah let's just have a completely clean sleep hmm. yeah all right so next up we have uh, Lucy A. Snyder's "The Gentleman Caller," and we're gonna—I'm gonna kick this one over to Kim real quick because I was rather curious I, about her reaction.
2: This I—I I got a kick out of this one. Uh, not only is it—I mean—it's unique in a lot of ways. First of all, it uses—I don't know if this is gonna be a spoiler, but eh, it uses a. Uh, A Lovecraftian theme that we do not see very much at all. Mm -hmm. Just because it's not very popular for some reason. I don't know why. But it also starts off with uh, a protagonist that you also don't see very often at all. Um, She's a dwarf, a separated, conjoined twin, who does sex calls.
1: I don't think we've ever seen that protagonist. Not ever. Not, not, not in that, that combination. Ex- not that exact no. combination. Yeah. Well, and in, by the um, way, for those
2: PC out there, dwarf is actually the term that they use. So,
0: in, in uh, *Dies Are by Dick and Zelaney, there is a conjoined twin dwarf, but I don't believe that he works for a sex line. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, this character, she reminds me a lot of George Bailey, who mm-hmm. thinks that the grass has got to be greener on the other side. She has her, her twin sister seems to have the perfect life, perfect husband, perfect body. You know, she doesn't need a wheelchair to get around. She doesn't get stared at by anybody. Her parents loved her. They, You know, all this other shit that, you know... Grass has got to be greener, and our hero, our heroine is thinking, you know what? My life is shit, you know? And you can't blame her for for thinking this.
1: You know, I think she she flip-flops a little bit, though, because there's, in one respect, you know, she thinks, yeah, my life is total shit. In other respects, she's like, you know what? Given the circumstances, I'm doing pretty damn good. Yeah. I am one of the number one sex call operators in the world. I have a bomb-ass collection of adult novelties. And, you know, I get along with people all right. You know, I get around okay. Yeah, you know, it's not ideal, but still.
2: And I'm and, not going to give away the spoiler here, but we come to find out that she and not her perfect twin sister has all the sex. And Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say how we find that out or why. But that's just one little thing that we go. oh, Yes, right, right
1: exactly. <laughs> you know, she's she's physically fulfilled. You, you know, yeah. Even though, you know, it, she might be somewhat lacking in uh, human contact, uh, for whatever contact well, she's all she, she needs in her contact. I she mean, she still has human contact, right. Physical right. human contact, but you don't you don't get the idea that she has a lot of friends that she hangs out with. It's just you know she has you know a coworker that they're on a there. She doesn't really have much of a social life. Um, but yeah, and and you know that's that's all interesting. And then we get to this, um, the the MacGuffin of the story. Which is a rather interesting take on it as well, and and like Kim said, that you know the the hero gets to be able to do things that her sister, her perfect sister, can't. And uh, actually, I would say this is the third story this talks about like uh, like a heritage. Yeah,
2: I, I, I agree on that. Because we come to find out that she was actually being tested for certain things, Mm -hmm. and her perfect sister was tested and failed it. Right. So, yay for the chosen one of the family. Mm
0: -hmm. For all good at dinner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course... Apocalyptic Lovecraftian fiction. See
0: now, this is where I thought that this story would be a great origin story for a supervillain. Without spoiling things, well, I mean, she she gains her power is she could inhabit the bodies of other people, right? Um, And and she does it not necessarily maliciously, but she, like the ultra humanite would do, mm-hmm. but she does it selfishly.
1: Right. Like maybe dead man. Right.
2: Uh, the first one's entirely by accident, but after that, yeah. She knows what she's doing after that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, granted that no, we only get to see her use her power once. Three times? Three times. Yeah, three times. Yeah, three times. Um, yeah. And, and, and truthfully, this, this story could be developed into a much longer treatment. Right. Um, really focusing on her using her powers and, and doing this kind of vicarious living. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought this one was rather interesting um, I personally would have put it as the fourth story just just because it is I I liked it better than the hidden um and yeah
2: this could almost have come earlier than that in my opinion because this is one of those that's like behind the scenes prep
1: for the Mm -hmm. apocalypse yeah I I guess so I mean it is kind of it is behind the scenes um Yet, it still ends with a very man-made cause to the apocalypse. And so far, we are upon... Speaking of Chaz Kramer. Speaking of Chaz Kramer, man-made causes of the apocalypse? Yeah, just how it how it went down. It's a Chaz thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far, we're we're five stories in, and each of them have been either human-created or human-ushered apocalypses. Right. And now we get to number six, Scratching from the Outer Darkness, by Tim Curran, uh, which is not necessarily a man-made apocalypse. Um, And I'm going to throw it to Steve to lead off this (laughs) one. It's very
0: distracting in this story. It's very hard to get story out of it because it there are huge sections of it that are lists of yeah. references for the Cthulhu mythos. There are just huge swaths where he's describing the, the different things that are happening in, in the news. And it's like, um, I, I, you know, I didn't bother even writing a lot of them down. But there's like three distinct parts, and the first time it was kind of cool because it was part of the whole tone of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it built up like the the intensity of what of what he was saying built to the point where the protagonist was something was going to happen, and then it stopped very abruptly, and it was very visceral, and you felt it, and it was a great jolt. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of did that a couple more times, and it was kind of okay, but you already did that. Right. And and it was just a little... It was distracting from the story, which could have been a great story. It was about a blind woman who uh, was sensing the the other dimension encroaching on ours
1: mm-hmm.
2: this was this was the one that first of all gave me my fear factor shudder because of some of the descriptions of what was happening to this woman but i'm i'm like what steve is saying by the third time i was just like oh my gosh get on with it why are we doing this again? You know, I uh, I mean it was good that it was building up each time. But if it could have just been a little bit tighter maybe. Mm-hmm. And then then gone for the big wallop, you know? That would have been that would have been a lot better and it would have it would have responded to this story a lot better if, that had, if it if it'd been that way.
1: Uh, that's Brian Sammons now. <laughs> it's Tim Kern. <Curry>. That's <laughs> possible. Um I haven't even I haven't even uh, said my piece yet. I'm getting phone calls. No. That's <laughs> that's a hamburger phone. Nope, that's just that's a new phone. No. Um yeah, I mean the when when the story opened up and I was like you know, hey, this is you know a, a blind character, um, like like the gentleman caller. You know, differently able characters are not something you see a lot of, and since a lot of weird fiction gravitates toward what we see, hell, a lot of fiction period gravitates toward the sense of sight. A character that doesn't have the sense of sight is challenging the right because you have to focus on consciously thinking of the depth using your different senses. Right. Um, but when we get toward the climax, um, you know, it, it, and oh God, I don't want to spoil it. So yeah, I'm going to have to leave that criticism to the side because it, it would be a spoiler. Um, however, a, bit of a, cheat. a, a, a little bit, a, bit of a, cheat. A, a little bit of a cheat, and and yeah, and that's basically all I can say. Um, however, you know, like you were saying, the lists. Um,
2: yeah, it was you know, like a free for all.
1: Uh, yeah, like, there's how many there's, old
2: gods can I gra- cram in there?
1: Right, and how many mm-hmm. how many references can I can I make? And the climax is so on point to a Lovecraftian revelation that it is bordering on parody. Um, There was. There was a a point where I was getting to the conclusion of the story and I was like almost snickering to myself because as far as it went, it went farther. And then it went farther. And it went farther, and it was like it was hitting every single beat, um, you know, with with a measured precision. I mean, as as a piece of Lovecraftian pastiche, this is like beautifully crafted. Except it's not in the first person, right? Except that it's not in the first person. But yeah, everything is on point everything hits exactly where it's supposed to hit and
0: you can tell this guy's a huge lovecraft fan
1: oh yeah uh, very very well read um you know a lot of very knowledgeable in the on the subject yeah oh i don't a few of them up yeah and you know the only the only person a, you know scholar Right. The only person we've read that that includes this many Lovecraftian references and subtle ones at that is Peter Rollick. That's Peter Rollick calling you? <laughs> no, that's apparently I think that's my sister. Um, and he's still here. So yeah, I mean, this isn't my favorite story of the of the bunch, um, but you know I, I cannot i cannot argue that it's not well well done for the uh the milieu it's in
0: well one thing about the last two stories that you don't see you don't see a lot of differently able characters you know crap as a matter of fact usually in that sort of fiction those are the bad guys
1: right right so um, so we do it was have such to a give,
2: eugenicist that to have a just to have a d- differently mm-hmm. abled protagonist would have been ludicrous to him
1: right right and so yeah, we have to give um, we have to give Lucy and and Tim mad props for including differently able characters in their stories and props to Brian for including them in an anthology at you know this visibility right. Um so yeah, yeah like, there's, there's this, that this isn't like a podunk anthology this is no this is this is Dark Regions Press man this is like one of the top of the anthologies premier of small small press is out there mm-hmm. yeah i speak english i speak <laughs> english very well so yeah i mean this is this, it, it regardless to our opinion of the story it's great that it's here because of what it is and the exposure it's getting. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to try to look up Tim Tim as well and, and see what else Tim does.
0: Tim's going to post on Facebook how he's never read the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no no. <laughs> no, no. Um. So yeah, or he's never read Daredevil. Sorry. No, he's gonna he's gonna post on there and he's like, "Fuck you, Rodney. Fuck you." And and like and no big fuck you noise. sidekicks. Might even might even take a picture of it just to just to show me. Because I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a real piece of work. You Ask are. anybody. It's true. Um, Let's see here. So next up, messages from a dark deity, Stephen (gasps) Markerini. And you do have to say it with that kind of... (laughs) Messages from a dark deity. (laughs) Fuck you, Rodney. That's right. (laughs) There it comes again. (laughs) Fuck you, Rodney. In a world, Um, In in a world.
0: I have one word to say about this story. What's that? Haboob. Haboob. Mm. (laughs) I always wanted to use that in context.
2: It sounds dirty, but it's not, I promise.
0: There is a haboob in this story, and if you look up videos, a haboob is a stick, a big, huge, honking sandstorm. Mm-hmm. And if you look up videos of big, huge, honking sandstorms, they are not what you think they are. They are creepy as all fuck.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> because it's not yeah. like the mummy where it's no. coming at you at 180 miles an hour. You have a just slow
0: coming. glacier wall of sand that is just coming towards you slowly.
2: God. <laughs>
0: Yeah. They are creepy as all mm. fuck. Nah.
1: Kudos, Mr. Rainey, for putting a haboob mm. in here. What I would like to add to this conversation is three words. Fat toe again. <laughs> I thought you were going to say big fucking haboob. Mm. No, fat toe again. Uh, I, I thought that was that was funny. Um, and yeah, you have to read the story to know what I'm talking about there yeah, so if
0: you want the in-jokes you gotta
1: buy the book buy the book for the buy the book for the in-jokes yeah, one of the great things about this story is that one, it is not ushered in by humanity Uh, you know, this is one of those things that, and, and, and Tim Curran's story was like this too these are not events. Right. These apocalypses are not events ushered in by humanity. They're just kind of happening.
0: When the stars are right.
1: Right. And guess what, pal? The stars are right.
0: No. Now, it's funny you say that because I've been giving this a lot of thought. Mm. In the original texts of Lovecraft and his pulse, yes. you don't really have. You ha- you might have cultists. Call of Cthulhu had cultists, but right. these cultists aren't bringing Cthulhu up from Rillia. Right, it just happens. That's it's right. there's, like there's nothing what you can do. Whatever you want to do, you cannot do whatever you want to do. But it's happening either way.
1: Right, it's like um, it's like praying for rain. Right, you know you can pray as much as you want. But it's going to rain whenever. Or rains. not. Or not rain. There's and 50
0: 50 chance. And it, it almost, to me, it almost seems like a lot of people have forgotten that. Mm. A lot of people have forgotten that just that simple fact that you have this indifference of these things. Right. And indifferences across the board. It's not like Mirelathel, um, except in Call of Cthulhu, the game, is wants worshippers so he can come back and usher in eternal darkness. It's going to come back when he comes back,
1: and that's right. he doesn't the- give a shit about us. That's just the long and short of it. Mm-hmm. And and this story is very much. That element, you have a journalist, and he's unraveling this mystery of weird shit happening. He's seeing shit. People are dying. And, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on, and everybody else is just as confused. But there's another little technique that he uses in that not everyone sees what's happening. And and that I like because, you know, he's not sure if if he's going crazy or if something's really happening. And, you know, and then he runs across someone else.
0: Which is another aspect of those old Lovecraft stories is you have that questioning of the perspective of the character. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, this crazy, is Or did easy. that really happen? I mean, at the end of these stories, you have people who are mad, people who are drug addicts. You don't have the most reliable narrators right. talking about these events.
2: This is for those of us in the world who think that being chosen must be something pretty sweet. Because it means you're special. But this guy here, he is here to tell you that no, it is not nice. It is not a good thing to be special. Not in this case.
1: You don't want to be special.
2: Yeah, you don't in want to... this
0: world. The other thing I liked about this story was it was another one where he used um, the the imagery to show the state of mind and state of spirituality of the isolation of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. You would often find him apart from other people. Like, even in his own apartment, he spent most of his time out on the fire escape, which his wife would not go out to. He was separate, um, both, like, in the text, mm-hmm. and that reflected his, his overall state of mind and
1: spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Right, and, and, and this story also flips back and forth between his time in Iraq... Yeah. And in the current era, turn on time. And we find that even then, he is isolated, you know, in a sense. Even if he's in a room full of people, by language, he's, he's isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, he's isolated by language. In, in the current time, he's isolated well, um, because of his job.
0: Well, also, he wasn't a soldier, he was a journalist. Correct. He was a war correspondent. So he, he was even isolated from the, pe- from the, the people he was with, the, the American troops, or whoever mm-hmm. he was embedded with, um, because he wasn't there for the same reason.
1: Correct, correct. So yeah, this, this character is pretty much as isolated as you can be and still be a mostly functioning member of society, right. which is another Lovecraftian theme. But it's, a, it's an interesting spin because a lot of Lovecraftian stories, the character is physically isolated from society itself. Someone out in the middle of nowhere. Or, or isolated or by birth. Isolated by birth. Or, or some, some way like that where they are actually separate from everyone else. Here, he's right in the middle of it, but he's still isolated. Isolated in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And... and this story is the last story in the uh, in the Before Time section. Right. And I thought that it was a great oh, way... The,
2: the next to last. Uh, Pete's, I believe, is the last. No, Pete's oh,
1: no, yeah, is the last one. Oh, no, I'm wrong.
2: I'm wrong. This is the last
0: one. Pete's is the first and the second section.
2: Never mind.
0: There's also a nice nod to Black Sabbath in this story. Classic rock reference.
1: Drink. Home in the sky, motherfuckers. Um... Yeah, so yeah, this was a perfect way to back clean up on the section. Um, Really heavy-hitting story. Now, this is where we begin section two, where were you when the world ended. And number eight is Time Flies by Peter Rollick. Damn you, Peter Rollick. (laughs) Peter Rollick, who has been on the show before. But yes. There's my note right there. Damn, damn it, you know, Rollick. Damn it. <laughs> um. So, uh, let's I see. How he has? Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Um. I like how he uses the great race of Yith in the function of the Watcher. It's worse. <laughs> but I mean, that's what the Watcher does. The Watcher comes in. And looks around, doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. doesn't 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 help, doesn't hinder, just watches. Now, it's more or less what the what the
1: yith do in this. Now, this this we it also bears mentioning that this is a Pandora Peasley story. Yes, um, you know, Pete likes to uh, serialize stories about certain characters across anthologies. Not Pete. Not Pete. Anybody but Pete. <laughs> um. So yeah. But we see, uh, Mister Mister Yeast, I believe was was he not in Reanimators?
0: Oh, uh, you! I read that so long ago. Uh, and, and Weird Company. Yeah, Pete, you're gonna have to.
1: Yes, is you're our is our. Write us and correct us. Is our Yithian doctor uh, the same Yithian from the uh, Reanimators books? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, this this story ends with a very like dark joke. Yeah. Um, and that. Is what I love about this story. It's one of the things I love about Peter Rawlick. Is that, yeah, one, he can take some really obscure shit from, from weird fiction over the years and twist it to his own needs. Uh, two, he has a, a pretty wicked sense of humor. Yeah, it's very dry. And it's very dry, very but. Narrow. But yeah, this, this story, the climax of this story is... I mean, I can almost see him typing and
0: going...
1: <laughs> as he's see, typing. He's and really uh, really, and really the poor really people, people at Starbucks really going, this. what is this guy doing? <laughs> he, he
0: actually, the ending of this story, he's taking a huge, huge chance. And mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything because no. it's well worth reading through to the end. I I will say that there's a bit of genre jumping Mm -hmm. and the genre that jumps to is considered passe amongst the hipster Lovecraftian elite. And
1: we'll leave it at that. Um, Wait a minute. I'm not hipster Lovecraftian elite. I don't like that particular. You're a hipster. I am not. I
0: had this beard before. Take that back. You hated those things before it was cool to hate them. (laughs)
1: That's right. Fuck you, George. <laughs> we can't give anything else away. Right. That's as close as you're getting to a spoiler. Yep. Read the book. Read the book and imagine, and imagine you overhear the following line. Excuse me, Mister Rollick. You'll have to leave the Panera Bread.
0: <laughs> 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 Sorry i
2: feeling
1: a little for Clint. <laughs> I, imag- I imagine Pete was laughing about that, about that uh, punchline for days after. Oh, sure. <laughs>
0: this Pete's been in a few anthologies we've we've uh, reviewed, mm-hmm. and I think this is probably the strongest story. Of his that we read officially, yeah.
1: This is this is classic Rolex stuff. What I determined to be classic Rolex. Style. right?
0: It's got all of Rolex's strong points and none of Rollick's, um weaknesses. How's that?
2: Weaknesses? He has no weaknesses.
1: <laughs> well, then it wouldn't have any. No one has weaknesses. No, never. A man's got to know his limitations. Is, is um, Megadeth
0: considered classic rock? Because now you've got to drink.
1: Well, that was a that was a good, the bad, and the ugly reference.
0: That's also a Megadeth reference.
1: Hello, me. All right. So, yeah, that was uh, Time Flies by Peter Raleigh. Next is Sorrow Road by Tim Wagoner. I hope I said that correctly as well. Sounds about right. And I say to this, Tim, you are a (laughs) motherfucker. A (laughs) motherfucker. Because I have a I have a three year old son.
2: You broke Rodney, Tim. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry.
1: Seriously, this, this story is dark. Dark.
2: It is, yes. a, is
1: a punch in the face, and the best way to describe it is mom has worst day ever. Hmm. Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Withdraw some exclamation points from Joe Fulver to add them on here. Don't take Joe's exclamation points to put on this in all caps, bold, thirty-eight point font. Worst day ever. And and again, what the fuck are you gonna do? Right, and this is another story where the Lovecraftian apocalypse just kind of happens. Right. And you know, and that—that's one of the strong points of it. It's, uh, you know, we've seen that in, in scratching, we've seen it in messages from a dark deity, we've seen it in uh, time flies, and now we've seen it in sorrow road. That's four stories in a row where the apocalypse just happens.
2: Well, or is it just that we don't know about any human involvement that would have been?
1: Um. I prefer to think of it as, you know, the stars just being right and it's just happening and nobody knows why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because, because we you know, say that at some point in here
0: that um it they're coming back and now they're here to stay. But it doesn't say we made them come back or whatever. It right. Just
1: they were Glad here it once says that they I used mean, to be- a,
0: If you want to believe that there was a human agency involved Welcome to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I, I really don't you know. think
1: that but I that think I think that aspect of it is what adds the cosmic to cosmic horror in, in right. is, is that, you know this it's it's like the heat death of the universe. It's gonna happen regardless right. to what we do about it. Um, you know, the earth will be enveloped by the sun at some point. And yeah, there ain't shit you can do about it um in in the face of that reality, you know, all of human endeavor is is futile and and there's that aspect to it, but then we get this other very personal horror going on um, with the the main character and and this happening at the same time, and that she manages to hold her shit together. She does. I mean that's that's balls of a rhino son.
0: I mean not not I think it's not a spoiler
1: to say what her personal
0: issue is.
1: Yeah, okay. So yeah. No, her, her that's very son, early in the
0: story. Basically the setup is her son is is was in remission mm-hmm. a three-year-old boy uh, for spine cancer. Yeah. And they just got the news that it, it there was a relapse. Right. So that morning. Right. And they are driving back from the, the oncologists, and she's processing the information when the world ends. Yeah. So, right. So, and now, I recently, I've said this before, actually, I recently got into an online argument about personal horror or personal issues trumping cosmic horror, and how they can enhance each other. And I was slapped down because cosmic horror should be pure. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'll tell you this right now. <laughs> Steve fed the trolls. The, 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 the cosmic horror that works really well has to be has to be contrasted against the shit that's going on in your life or who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares that some nameless thing is coming down and enthralling the human race? I, wh- where's my stake in that? Oh, well, my you know. stake is now this little boy who has cancer right? and how his mom is dealing with that. Like like in a Black Tom. My stake was the fact that Tom's father was gunned down for no reason because he had a guitar? Right. That was my stake. That made the story personal, and it made what happened even more horrific. Mm-hmm. And your run-of-the-mill uh, Lovecraftian pastiche generally doesn't have that.
1: Right. And yeah, I mean that's that's. It's one of the things that makes it gut wrenching is that, you know, you're already hurting a little bit, you know, for the situation, and then all this other shit happens, and you're like, "Oh my fucking god!" No yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not a it's not a tearjerker. Um, no, the, the end.
2: Per the se.
0: ending is kind of. I think they could have done a better job with the ending had they gone for the more um, ironic route. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I certainly don't want to give away the ending of this story, right? And that's like a personal. You know, that's a personal taste. You know, that's how I feel about things, but not necessarily how you or you are going to feel about everything. That's just my own personal taste. Right. It would have had more of an impact, really, had they gone for the indifferent irony as opposed to
1: the way it. Right, right, right. Worked out. And, and and yeah, and I think that the most, you know, that there was there was, a, an afterthought to the most horrific scene in the story. Um. And yeah, it, that was a, a little bit of a letdown after after that. See now, now that
0: afterthought had it gone now, I, I discussed with you what I how I thought it should have. And that had you just changed that one scene, you could have had the the um, epilogue on there, and it would have been such a huge impact. Right, that would have you your jaw would have dropped. Mine would have been gone. Oh fuck, that's fucked up.
1: Right, and and you know, it, it perhaps, perhaps Tim didn't want to quite go that far. Uh, I think we were discussing this with Cezine. Is you know, you know, there's there's a point where it's just like you don't want to go that far. Right.
0: No, that's true yeah. as
1: well. And yeah, or you're 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 writing it is just the natural flow of the writing. To get to that point, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, Tim Curran's story. You know, we we said it hit all the points. Then there had to been some point in the composition of that story where things were. It was just like automatic, and right. You know, there was there was a flow going on, and you could tell that. Yeah, there were certain paragraphs in that story where yeah, they there was a flow going. Mm-hmm. The, you know, eyes down, pen the paper, or glued to the screen. However, however, these stories are written, right? And and you just you, in certain ways it becomes automatic, and it's just it ends the way that the story wants to end. When the when the pen stops writing is you know where it is, and you know you read it no matter how many times you read it. It's just okay. That's that's the way it's telling you what's going to happen. happen. Right. Right. I, hear right. You. I hear you. that. I, I can't change course. You know, when I, once I've got this this side, and I, you know, and that's that's perfectly reasonable. You know, that's part of the the craft is being overtaken by the the writing itself, and you know, being punched in the face is part of being a, a reader. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's return of the old ones.
0: So yeah, you're going to get that. Yeah. Yeah, but damn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But damn. Once again, if you want to know what the hell we're talking
1: about... Buy the book. book. Buy the book. (laughs) Buy the book. Yes. If you went in
2: on this, and you may not want to after you're done with it, (laughs) but you
0: got (laughs) to buy the book.
1: (laughs) That's right. You might come out of this book really fucked up.
0: Well, I mean... You don't read a
1: book like this expecting to be cheered up. That's true. That's true. There is there's other un- unless you have a really dark sense of humor and you read uh, Peter Rollins' story, there is nothing joyous going on here at all. No, um, it is what it says on the box. Right, it's the return of the old ones, the apocalyptic Lovecraftian tales. So, I mean, yes, you know honestly it should just say you know Blico's. <laughs> by grimdark like grim you know it's <laughs> you know it's the worst tasting cereal and you always have to have it with sour milk yeah because it, it, but you it eat a shitload of it but you eat a shitload of it because for some reason you can't get enough
0: cuz like, there's a prize in the back there's a, prize. There's a prize. prize in the box <laughs> I have
1: to eat it to get the prize. There's a secret and a call decoder ring in the box. That's right. So you can also translate unspeakable cults.
2: Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Get yours today.
1: Which brings us to The Call oh, of the Deep. Oh wait, I have this one this one requires the voice. The call of the deep. Now,
0: this one, if I get into meters. it, um, has a bit of art that has been uh, made, commissioned, and, mm-hmm. and, and done. And if they reach a certain amount of their goal by the end of the weekend or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they are going to include the art in the book. And it's a bunch of deep ones
1: coming up under yeah. a bridge. Under the Tower Bridge in London. Yeah, so. Which is a pretty badass piece of art if you've gone to the Indiegogo page and seen it. Yeah, it is pretty badass. Bad, bad. uh, I think uh, Scott R. Jones, whose work is also featured in the second half of the book. Next week, Scott. Um, uh, next week. Ne- next week, Scott. Um, yeah, he posted it as well. This this piece of artwork is pretty, pretty badass. Um, it would be nice even if um, it didn't get included in the book. If like maybe prints were made or something like that,
0: yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And now, um, I don't know if anybody has gotten any uh, Dark Regions books before. I have a, a hard copy of uh, World War Cthulhu, and the art in there is fantastic. And they have uh, full page spreads of, of great stuff. I think there might be one for every story in that one. Cool. So, yeah, they, they, quality wise, in terms of the, the physical books, they they, they do it. I and mean, they, they pull out the stops and they, they put together a good looking book.
1: Mm-hmm. The cover art for this book is amazing as well.
0: Oh, yeah. If you look at the stuff that I posted for it, um, that is the cover painting. If you mm-hmm. look at the uh, but um, Monday Night Heroes Twitter. Monday Night Heroes. That's at Monday Night Heroes. Um, yeah, do you, you can see it's, really,
1: it's it's fucking scary as shit. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, and Grimdark. Very, and Grimdark. Um, so, yeah, this is a, the story of... This is more of a science fiction kind of story. Which is which is also interesting. Um, it
2: takes place in what twenty sixty something?
1: Yep, twenty sixty-six, something like that. Um yeah, well, in, in the not too distant future. Next Sunday, A D. Yeah. Um, so this yeah.
0: character Joel has two robots. Crow and Tom
1: Servo. I'm they not sure what movies. story you read. <laughs> they send him cheesy movies, the worst yeah. of all time.
0: No, no, Now, this is a
1: story about uh, two uh, British uh, military operatives. Yeah, they're, they're special forces. Special forces SAS, uh, perhaps.
0: Troubleshooters. mm
1: mm-hmm. And there is a global war against deep ones. Now,
0: this is cool because the deep ones are rising because of global, global warming.
2: <laughs> oh, come on. Everybody knows global warming isn't real.
1: Grab it. If sends any angry letters to Kim, she was like rolling her eyes. When she yes. Said that.
2: I am LOL. Now the
0: other people will send her angry letters. Fuck you, then. He's <laughs> um, all the people all the time. Right. So, yes.
1: so these these eggheads have a plan to fix things. As eggheads do. They are
0: American they eggheads.
1: Uh, it's a it's a it's joint the,
0: task yes, force. It's the of Americans eggheads. who eggheads. are. Are portrayed as leaping first, right, and then looking. Damn the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman who wrote this, um, Michael Michael, I believe it's Meekle. William Michael. Not, please correct us. Uh, he's Scottish, so he has a different view of Americans
1: than, say, an American writer would have. which is probably more consistent with the international view. You know, that Americans Americans are seen as cowboys. And, yes. and even these scientists are going a kind of cowboy and cavalier route.
0: Well, the Americans are fully willing to take chances with other people's
1: lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Including their own. Right.
2: But the thing is, America has always ta- already taken such heavy losses that they probably figured they have nothing left to lose at this point.
1: Right, right. And, and yeah, the, the the text of the story does kind of mention it in that sort of way, that the fighting has been heaviest, uh, you know, retaliation right. for Innsmouth, I'm sure. On the east coast of oh. the, United the United States. States. Yeah. yeah, the I mean, fighting Boston's has already been gone. The heaviest. Um, you know, United States has suffered a hell of a lot of damage.
0: Yeah, basically the whole East Coast movement. is
1: is done. It's gone. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
2: Landlock stakes for the win.
1: Um. Yeah. So we have we have this 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 like last ditch plan that has bizarre side effects. Um, and there's just a lot of like really creepy images. I mean, even though this is, you know, you know, it flip-flops between the science fiction, you know, the soldier observing this, you know, all of these people in lab coats bickering and arguing about doing the thing. And he goes outside and it's completely different kind of narrative going on out there, you know, where the ampies, as they're called in this story, or deep ones, essentially, you know, are, Effectively, it's their final assault. It's an unstoppable army of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah there's so many of them that you know, there's no way you can win. So you have this kind of um, no-win scenario type of situation. In that, uh, you know, yeah, no matter what you're going to do, man these these things are they're coming. And you know, so it's 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 almost like this poor guy has been locked in a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation. Right. And that's probably, you know, the worst type of situation he could be in. Um yeah, I mean, it was the story itself was rather fast paced for what it was. And you know, and it's, this is another one where Really, talking too much about the plot is going to be too much too many spoilers. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, this one this is the end of our, our reading for the for the this week. Is the first half, right? Yeah, this is the end. Yeah. That was the last story in the first half. A little bit more than the first half because there's an odd number of stories. Yeah,
2: like maybe nineteen. Nineteen.
1: So we right. went ten. We went ten. This half we'll be doing the next nine. Um, so yeah, I mean. I would say, you know, just based on the first half, you know, if if Lovecraftian Apocalypse or just apocalyptic fiction in general really, you know, is something you really love, get this book. Um, you know, if you like the Lovecraftian aspect, go ahead and check this book out as well. I mean, yeah, it's is- pretty solid, Lovecraftian mm-hmm.
0: kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, my only real complaint, and it's not... Just this book, mm-hmm. it is modern Lovecraftian writing in general. Um, I think we've gotten to the point where a lot of people are being very meta in the way they disseminate information in a Lovecraftian setting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you get there's, you have a lexicon of tropes that are Lovecraftian tropes. Right. And we all know what they are because, you know, we've read them. And I think instead of building tension in stories by um, by looking at new things and, and twisting things into the weird, we're now building tension through these tropes.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: so um, a good example on this was you had a, a point where um, all, all the deep ones... Had their heads up and they were making a sort of a sound, and then it was, it was described as as a hymn. Right. Once you do that, you kind of let the cat out of the bag, and instead of creating the tension um, at the end of the story by saying, "Oh my God, the noise was a hymn," where you have a big like shocking reveal, you have, "Oh, okay, Cthulhu's going to come," mm-hmm. and so. It's, it's maybe it's because I'm jaded, but I, I think a lot of, a, a lot of stories are being written with that in mind and we're writing to the audience that you're trying to sell to as opposed to writing to
1: a broader audience. Right right And, and to, to the point sometimes where it's almost like you're winking at the audience.
0: Right, mm-hmm. ah, cat, cat. It's coming? Hey, hey, hey! You know it's um, gonna happen. You know it's gonna yeah.
1: happen. You know it's gonna happen. But then again, you know it is also Lovecraftian apocalypse, so you know what's gonna happen.
0: Right, you know it's gonna exactly. happen anyway. True, but I think there's like there's ways to purvey that without without um having to have a page on TV tropes.
1: Yeah, but you know. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from there, and and, and yeah, um, and I, I think that might be one reason why the, the the proverbial herd is thinning a little bit, where you have some writers that are going off more into general weird, um, rather than sticking in in there because there are a lot of writers in the Lovecraftian vein, and
0: it's it's money now.
1: Yeah, and and there's there's there are certain tropes that you you know are using, and you know there's so many combinations that you can write a solid Lovecraftian story and hit all the tropes just right, and it's still a good story, you know, even though you know, yeah, this is, you know, A happens, B happens, C happens. It's still a very good story because you know, there's the craft of writing behind it, right? Um. But yeah, they sometimes it doesn't seem like they're pushing new gr- new ground.
0: It, it just seems like we're being communicated to in um, stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And you you might be able to get the same point across, and even make it a little bit more surprising. Mm-hmm.
1: To do it in a different way. But, you know, the, on the other hand, you know, isn't that what all of this was about in the first place? Was just, It was being sensational, even though you knew what was going to happen. You know, you know, you know, Howard Randolph Carter is going to faint. <laughs> you know. We know it now at the time. Right.
2: Thanks for the spoiler, Rodney.
1: Oh,
0: at the because, time, it was almost new, except,
1: you know, they didn't make in You know, Conan is going <laughs> to lop somebody's head off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you go into these things, you know, that's what you expect. I mean, you know, I'm sure at some point in in the, the days of Howard Lovecraft, when all this stuff was fresh, um, out of his imagination, that, yeah, okay, I read, you know, I've read three or four out lovecraft stories in these previous issues oh it's another lovecraft story you know what to expect and yeah there's a, there's a certain you know um, need for familiarity I guess um, when you when you're trying to do a lovecraftian story you don't want to go too far out and run the risk of alienating the fans maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, because you sense. have like you have
0: like people who were post Lovecraft, mm-hmm. who you know did their own thing, like Ramsey Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the other book in the India Go Go thing is a
1: tribute to Ramsey Campbell. Just so you yep. know, Children of. Uh, Glocky? I'm not going to pronounce it, but yeah, um, I'm going to say Glocky.
0: So I mean, and you have writers like. Campbell block who were able to take this and make it their own Mm -hmm. And, and yeah you're gonna have like a couple of pastiches early on but then they they find their own thing and incorporate it into
1: their own style right and I think that you get you get some of that with this with this book. You well, definitely do. I'm
0: I'm not. That's not an indictment on this book. It's an indictment right. on Lovecraftia in general, mm-hmm. like the, the
1: movement. Right. All right. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, yeah. So, that. Kim, any any final thoughts?
2: I think we pretty much covered it. It's, it's certainly. Certainly uh, some good stuff in there, a lot of good storytelling, some really different takes on things, uh, some tropes, yes, but, you know, what are you going to do? Give it a try.
1: There you go. Listen to Kim.
0: Yes, listen no,
1: to No people. toes this time, because this is not the second episode. No toes right. yet. Right. No and toes it really
0: should toes. be. But as there is a bit of a, a time issue... Mm-hmm. For those of you who wish to get in on this, um, it's an Indiegogo, 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 whatever, um, campaign. Mm -hmm. So the book's getting published no matter what. It's not like um, Kickstarter where if you don't make your goal,
1: you're done. Right. They're flexible.
0: Yeah. You still still get um, the book. At this point, they're trying to improve upon the book. They're trying to make it nicer with full plates of colored art. So if, if you are of mine, you, you are interested in the book from what you've heard from us, what you've seen on the Internet, blah, 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 go ahead, take a look at it, shoot them some cash. The only thing you're doing
1: is helping yourself get a better book. Okay, and uh, just so we can get that uh, address in there in, on the air, uh, the Indiegogo campaign is www.indiegogo.com slash projects slash three new books from Dark Regions Press. Uh, and there are dashes in between three new books from Dark Regions Press. Um, we will include the link in the description. Uh, let's see. They, According to the site, they have a day left. And they are three... Thousand, almost four thousand dollars short of their of their thirty thousand dollar goal. Eighty eight percent. Yeah, there's still a lot of uh, go forth and pour money into it. Yeah, different bundles available. I'm looking at the deep ones artwork right here for uh, William Meekle story, badass fucking barnacles and shit. Yeah, man, barnacles, idea. barnacles and spikes, and shit. SpongeBob, and yeah. Word, and so yeah, I mean, and you can also check out the the other two books in the as part of the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, you Human, an anthology of dark science fiction by edited by Michael Bailey, and also the uh, tribute to Ramsey Campbell, The Children of Galaki. Uh, that's edited also by Brian M. Sammons and Leno Barris There you go. There you, there you go. So check that out. Once again, the link will be in the description. Um, Look, Rodney Ramsey <laughs> That was my Necronomicon 2015. Look, Rodney Ramsey Look, kids, part of it. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna call it a night there. And until next week, we'll be doing the second half of Return of the Old Ones. That's right. Say goodnight Gracie. Wait. What? What? Monday Night Heroes. Oh. Yeah, but what? Time to harvest. Okay, a time to harvest on Monday. Yes.
2: And Friday Fungi will be doing something. We don't know what yet.
1: So, stay tuned for Monday Night Heroes, a time to harvest. And Friday, Friday Fungi will be doing something. Something grimdark. Something, yes. call of Cthulhu.
0: Grim dark.
1: And until next time, say good night, Gracie.
0: Good night, good night, Gracie. Yeah.
2: I'm terrible at that.